Hello, world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. Conversations. Welcome back, everyone. We are here for the reread. Oh, yeah. Warbreaker has been finished. And this is the last reread book before we dive into the Stormlight Archive. If, so exciting. If you're following our suggested reading list, yes. then you are just in for months and months of making your way through the Stormlight Archive in anticipation for the November release of Rhythm of War? Yeah, we are, uh, we're a little bit quicker on the reread than we were originally anticipating. I was hoping to get to Stormlight at like the beginning of summer, but clearly our circumstances have changed. So here we are. When you can sit around for eight (laughs) hours and just read all day and not go to work, you can get some reading done. (laughs) Yeah. I think that Before we get too excited about Stormlight Archive, let's be excited about Warbreaker. Yeah, which I am legitimately really excited about. It has been, like Elantris, many years since I've read Warbreaker. It was the first Brandon Sanderson book that I ever read. I love it. And I was just so excited and happy and pleased to come back to it. And I think that coming back to it with so much more knowledge. I mean, we have done multiple rereads of Mistborn, Era 1 and 2, Secret History, Stormlight Archive. I know that we independently reread the two Stormlight Archive books before number three came out. Yeah. And so we did like a mini reread just of the Stormlight Archive. And so we have packed a bunch of knowledge, but... Atlantris and Warbreaker always were able to kind of stand apart and so they got missed a little bit. Yeah because I feel like when I think about it it's like oh yeah I I remember what happens in that book like I don't really need to reread it. I got the important things you know Vasher, Vavena, Nightblood. Okay cool. So it was great to come back to the full thing and go back to Nalthus. Especially because of the importance of Nalthus and what I believe is, well, this is the first thing that I just kind of want to say. A, hashtag all spoilers. We know this. B, I think that Nalthus is the most important planet that has been the least explored. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's partially why it hasn't been explored as much because Brandon feels that if he were to dive back into Nalthus, he would have to reveal things that are very Cosmere significant and may like spoil things that he's sort of waiting to reveal later on down the line. Reasons to love the Sanderson because the concept that one of his first books in Warbreaker would have this 10, 15 year gap in between the first book and the second book in what, who knows how long a series it could possibly (laughs) become, but like, That's a huge, massive gap of time, and yet Brandon has always kind of been working to get us back there. Yeah, I've even read a few 
words of Brandon where he says that he thinks of Warbreaker as being a Stormlight Archive prequel. So, like, in his mind, he knew that Zahel was on Rashar, and Warbreaker is just Zahel's backstory. He was like, oh, here's this character. Okay, let me actually tell you, like, not the origin story, but, you know, a little bit about Zahel before he got here. Yeah, it's basically like dropping in on a moment, Zahel meeting Vivenna, which is going to clearly propel him back towards Rashar. Yeah, and it's just like, obviously, these two stories are incredibly closely linked in the mind of the author. And we see that sort of playing out as these books come out, you know, especially with Oathbringer and Azure. And it seems like she might be pretty significant moving forward on Rashar as well. So there's some fascinating things going on. So overall... This is going to be a very positive episode because we loved <laughs> Warbreaker. But I think what I want to tie into that concept is that the investiture on Nalthus breaths is super important and super significant to understanding the greater Cosmere. And I truly believe that this is the thing that Brandon can explore, but obviously would want to explore when doing the next book. Yeah. And it's like, have... what is breath and how does it mm-hmm. work and how does it function? Yeah, I have. I'm going to have a lot to say about that as we go on. That's just I want us to keep in mind the and we've talked about this now in multiple episodes of our reread. You know, how is this going to be used in the future? How is this going to develop? We saw it firsthand with Mistborn Era 1 to Mistborn Era 2. Very cool. We know that it's happening on Rashar with the Fabrials. We see an introduction here of breath, and we get some rules that are inaccurate and some rules that we think are accurate but are later revealed to be probably not the case really what it is as far as i can tell it's one of the most universally accessible investiture systems in the cosmere it seems like it is the most sort of like pure investiture it's the best example of sort of the most basic way that investiture manifests in the Cosmere, which is simply that each human, you know, has a tiny bit of investiture inside of them, which is an idea that we see like on Scadrial with the humans being literally made by preservation and ruin and the shards having to give up, you know, a part of themselves to make the humans, blah, blah, blah. But this is sort of just the most basic each human has a tiny bit of investiture inside them, and then they can take that tiny bit and trade it around. Yeah, the trading is obviously what leads to the important aspects, but what I also really love is that, at least right now, it seems very universal in the way that you can give your breath to me, I can collect or give my breath to someone else, Yeah, and it that naturally anyone can do this. has that democratization that we've been talking, talking about, about other societies 100%. having to move towards yeah and build Nalthus sort of innately has that i think if you had ever played any rpg video games when you had like different races that you could become there was always like the human race and it was kind of boring because it like didn't do any like one thing specifically well but was like very adaptable of all trades yes 100 that was like that's why humans like 
get terrible reps in RPG <laughs> games because they're like very bland. Middling. Yes. And it's just like, okay, cool. So like I could do anything, but not anything really well. And all I mean to say with that is it appears that other magic systems may have more potential power or abilities that seem kind of cool and flashy but i think that the system of breath and the ability of awakening is like the jack of all trades or will become the jack of all trades of the cosmere it's certainly more versatile but i think more difficult to access even though it is more readily available because you can't really do anything with it unless you have a bunch 50 breaths yeah so it's it's interesting in that way where it is the most ubiquitous but also the most difficult and like sets itself up for these kind of conflicts that we both see and hear about in warbreaker you know between humans because if the only way you can use your magic system is to like take from other people clearly that's going to happen So I love that, starting off with some investiture talk, some talk about the magic systems. But now let's go into the story itself. What was your biggest thought or your biggest takeaway from Warbreaker? Just that this book is so enjoyable. It is so enjoyable to read. I love that there is a little bit of everything. There is some romance, some adventure, some intrigue, some mystery, politics. You've kind of got it all in there. And it feels um, vivacious, but not chaotic, if Mm. that makes sense. I like that it is um, sort of like flavorful. It's like the uh, jambalaya of books. (laughs) Excellent call. (laughs) Where there's like a lot going on. There's like a lot going on, but in a good way. All right. Warbreaker jambalaya. Someone (laughs) create that recipe, pass it around on the interwebs because I love that. I have always said that Warbreaker is one of the books, maybe along with Mistborn, that I most often recommend. Unless you want the novella, that's Emperor Soul. However, (laughs) I think that what you just said is exactly why it's such a good book to start with because it feels like Warbreaker is where you could start to see Brandon pull together multiple things that he had introduced in other books. Just as a timeline, this is happening after Elantris is published, after the first Mistborn is published, and was probably being created at the same time that he was finishing Mistborn Era 1. He's writing Warbreaker. This book feels so creative and brave in ways that I think the previous published books, like you just mentioned, Mistborn and Elantris, aren't necessarily. Like, I think the best comparison, which a lot of people have made already, is between Warbreaker and Elantris. And Warbreaker is just kind of a cooler, more creative, better Elantris in a lot of ways. Elantris sort of has all of those building blocks, but it's still quite plain. Mm. You know, he doesn't layer in as many of sort of his own unique idiosyncratic ideas and um, fantasy things into it. I think an interesting note on this book that I read for our last episode on Words of Brandon is Brandon said that when he wrote this book, 
he got a lot of feedback from both his like publisher and editor and his beta readers that they felt like it was too chaotic or that like it jumped around too much and like why is there so much going on I can't tell what this book is supposed to be like is it a mystery is it a romance I don't know basically criticizing everything that I like about it <laughs> um, and he he was like yeah but that's what I want like I want the book to feel the way Hallandren feels like that's what Hallandren feels like everything is happening there's so many colors and different kinds of people and all of those descriptions of you know Vavena and Siri coming into this really boisterous active big city he wanted the book to feel like that and I think that it speaks so much for him that he sort of held his ground and held on to his vision for what he wanted the book to be because I think it's really successful and sets him apart as a writer. I would say, though, I bet that when those types of feedback came to him, that at this point in his career and with the team and system that he had built around him, I bet he was more capable and able to take in the criticisms and maybe smooth out the edges. Mm -hmm. Because I would also say that while this book is chaotic, Actually, I'm just going to jump over to what I love most okay, about the book. I, I hear you. That's wonderful. <laughs> we have respect for one another's opinions because now it's my turn. The relationships that the characters have and the characters' motivations and desires feel very direct in many ways. Vena mm-hmm. wants to save her sister. Siri mm-hmm. has to marry the God King unprepared for it. Vasher, he seems a little bit more mysterious. Yeah, but at the same time, he's still very directed. He's like moving to upset the war. Yeah, Yeah. he's just like my mission is to stop Denth and stop the war from happening. Yeah, and so basically, what I think is so great is that while that energy and that chaotic nature of like being in a major city for the first time, or I think it is balanced out by characters that are really thoughtful, that have clear direction, that face obstacles that directly challenge their own inadequacies. Mm -hmm. Like it's all chaotic in what is happening, but the characters and the relationships really drive you through this story. I think that's a great point that Brandon Sanderson does a great job of balancing those things in this book where the action is active there's a lot going on but the characters are quite focused it's almost like a roller coaster through or a ride at disneyland through halandrin and through this book where you're on kind of a set path with the characters Mm. and that's what's driving us forward Um, but around them there is so much and every time you look to the right you see something that seemingly can go on forever and then you look to the left and seemingly it goes on forever (laughs) and you don't become overwhelmed because you don't go down each little path individually and instead you stay kind of on this beautiful you know either train tracks or uh, a path a great metaphor Thank you. I worked so hard on it. Okay, let's move on to what did we not like? What's our rough cut for Warbreaker? The only thing that drives me crazy about Warbreaker is that it doesn't have a freaking sequel. (laughs) (laughs) It is just so unfair in a way of Brandon to 
put out this book sort of knowing that he can't move on to the sequel because he doesn't want to divulge secrets just yet. And uh, it's just so frustrating. I There's just so much that we don't know by the end of this book that I am just dying to know. Yes, absolutely epically frustrating. I just wrote, I want more. That was all that I wanted out at the end of this story. It was just like, where's the next one? You know, it is an episode of really great television that just like ends with a cliffhanger and we're just sitting there at the end of just like, I need the next one. You know why it's once you get addicted to the play next on Netflix, you can never go back <laughs> to week true. to week television. It's just like, what, what do you it's mean? So terrible. I can't <laughs> Brandon. No, you, you write so fast. Where is it? You just need that next story. And because there is the setup for a war. What is going to happen to the people of Idris at the end? Like, we don't know. There's an army marching yeah. towards them with no ability to break their commands. We have Kalad's phantoms, the thousand magical uh, creations that are like chasing them down. Yeah, Vasher and Vavena are following them to try to do something. We don't even know what they're going to do. And then the God King is a, a new king, basically, for all intents and purposes, who have just survived an assassination attempt where multiple people died, including other gods. Yeah, like, like their whole kingdom is about to change. It's under because threat. the God King is going to be a king, not a figurehead yes. now, we can assume, anyway. And Ciri's going to be right there to be helping him out. So like, And they're going to so, have a baby, uh, I'm like pretty sure. I am worried. This is just another beautiful thing. Because part of when we were discussing the different rules and words of Brandon's last week where I was mentioning some of the things that we believe that we know about the rules of I have breath. so many more things to say on all of that I just want to say that I was only halfway through Warbreaker at that time yeah and I exactly. forgot I forgot that the end of <laughs> don't Warbreaker, listen to old us <laughs> well it's just like understand where I was in the process because it's by the end of Warbreaker so many of those rules that were set up are bent or broken or we assume they will be and so like one of the rules was like god kings have stillborn children and that they as they were stillborn then they returned to life and became the next god king there is so much setup and then a twist that happens in so many different ways in this story that even just the rules of how the God King's relationship work and can he have a baby and what will happen to Siri after like all of that stuff is presented one way and then it's twisted and we don't quite know how it's going to end. I feel like that is why I want a sequel so bad is because there's that anticipation in nearly every single Avenue. I want to know more about every single thing. Yeah, this is a great example of one of the things that I love most about Brandon Sanderson's writing, which is the true and complete sort of suspension of disbelief that you get from his books because we truly, truly only know what the characters in world know. There is no sense of, you know, a third person narrator, omniscient perspective at all so that makes them super interesting and the ability to get those twists but it's also something that makes them 
can be somewhat confusing, I think, because we are just as confused as the characters are as they are discovering things and the misinformation that the characters get is misinformation for the reader. So the things that you believe to be true are not true. Um, So if you don't mind, I would love to just piggyback off of that and jump into my like five things that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Five favorite moments, character scenes, go. One thing I put on this list, like just because I wanted to talk through it and like lay it out super clearly is the returned, how the returned works and like how the royal locks or the royal family of Idris sort of works into into that. Yeah. And sort of just navigating all of those twists and turns of like, what do we hear about this that is misinformation and what do we know may actually be true? I think this is going to be super helpful for myself and everyone listening especially if yeah you're, you're actually skipping the reread and just listening Ooh. to these episodes yeah <laughs> like this is great like let's give the people exactly what they need because there's a lot of misinformation there's a lot of things you might remember that was actually wrong and we could try to set the path right on the returned yeah because after even this reread i was like kind of confused about it and so i did some research and i wanted to just get on mic with you and chat From what I could tell, the first returned, or who we think is the first returned at this point, known as Vo, does end up having a naturally born child with a human woman. And that child begins the royal line of Idris. So that person is half returned, half god, half human, sort of. And... The Vena and Ceres distant relative. Descendant. Or uh, antecedent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is their ancestor. Yes, correct. So we know if that is true, which I think we can assume, knowing that the Vena and Ceres have the royal locks and, you know, they have that little bit of magic in them. If that's true, then it is possible for the returned to have children. And from the annotations from Brandon about warbreaker he said that it requires special knowledge to be able for a return to have a naturally born child and the priests do know how but that it like doesn't always work it's Mm. like a difficult process i'm thinking of it as like kind of like ivf a little bit where you're like yeah we can make a baby this way but like not always it's a little bit more complicated than just have a baby i would assume that a large part of it just like a large part of awakening is intent and that part oh. of the reason for lying to the gods mm-hmm. like up front and be just uh, the return yeah and just being and like, like no you, gotta, you, you guys can't have kids yeah it's not a big deal like have sex with other returned have sex with humans it really doesn't matter is about just keeping them away from the intent of having children that's a great call i love that actually And that ties in a little bit with something else I wanted to talk about, but we'll get to that later. (laughs) Well, I think I really appreciate you bringing up uh, this first return, Vo, because there is also our very, very old returned Vasher, who we eventually discover is part of the five scholars with Denth and Shashara. That is... As well as Arsteel and Yesteel? Is that all of them? Yeah. Arsteel, Yesteel, Shashara, 
Denth, and who Vasher. was known as Vara Trelides back in the day, and Vasher. So I really want to be able to place that group along with Vo in a timeline somewhere, and I don't think that we have access to that. I think that they come quite a bit later than Vo. Like, I think the timeline is quite long. So exactly. even though the five scholars were a long time ago for us. About 300 years. Yeah, they are pretty much equally removed from Vo. Vo. Yeah. Can I just, like, side note really yes. quick? One more thing that ties Nalthus and Rashard together is they have these linguistic similarities. And we talked about it briefly in our Word of Brandon podcast with Vash one of Vasher's aliases being... Khalad or Khaled, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, but I'm also thinking Shashara is so much like Shalom Shalash. And Shalash, yeah. yes, um, And when Siri is teaching Susebrin how to read, read she says, there is a letter Shash. Yes. And I was just like, what, 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 what? I really think that if were correct about this super close tie-in between Nalthus and Rashar and the fact that Brandon can't write the next book because it would reveal too much. I honestly think that just his, what he wants to do with the language and the linguistics and the very words that he is choosing, now it would be too obvious. Now he couldn't maybe hold back some of the connections because he's like, well, I have to do it right. I can't just create unnatural names and I have to follow the path that I have set up for myself and so to even write the words and write the names it may be too revealing about a Risharian Nalthian connection yeah um okay that was my tangent back to the returned another thing sort of in this realm that reveals misinformation um, this is, again, from the annotations on Warbreaker. He says that infant infants returning doesn't happen as frequently as adults returning. And so he says that fact is sort of evidence in favor of what the Hallandran people believe to be true, that you have to do something heroic or, you know, specifically exemplifying a virtue in order to return. Obviously, a baby is probably not as likely to die in a heroic way or like in a specifically virtuous way. Um, but he adds a note here that says that is not true. You do not have to die in a particularly heroic way in order to return. But it is more true than Siri thinks that it is. And this question about the nature of the return is really at the forefront of what is possible with a sequel. What I love about this concept, though, is that the most basic understanding we have of Returned about their names, Light Song the Bold, Light Song the Brave, he happened to fit the mold. But there is no actual requirement for there to be a linkage in that way. And that's something that I was mildly inaccurate about well, last week. And I'm glad that we're just kind of correcting it because yeah. I had the early first half of the book <laughs> and now, you know, the full knowledge. And Vasher speaks to that at the very, very 
end of this book too mm-hmm. um where vivena asks him like what was your returned name and he tells her warbreaker the peaceful and he says i still don't know if that name was truly prophetic of me or if i've just been trying to live up to my name since my rebirth mm-hmm. 100% man i love those return names they got good oh, they're really good names. yeah i would say if we want a little fan challenge hit us up on reddit facebook twitter tell us what your returned name would be Ooh. or you could maybe tell us uh what you would name a shard blade if you had one come into your possession yes those they're kind of similar i was just thinking about Vash, one of Vasher's names is Strife Lover when he ooh. starts the war. And I was like, ooh, that would be a good shard blade name. Strife Lover. Excellent. I'm leaving in the sound effect too, because that is now the sound effect for all shard blades for all time. <laughs> Let's jump over to one of my favorite things because I love Nightblood. Nightblood is introduced as a somewhat character. A mystery yeah, wrapped I would call in a, a sword-shaped enigma. I think Brandon considers him a character. I 100% believe he's a character. But when we first uncover Nightblood, it is one of the most interesting things going on in the book. Like, a sword is talking to this dude, and he seems crazy. And he has such a personality, Nightblood does. Yes, 100% from, like, from the get-go. He's yeah. already, well, he's His been developed for like 300 like, years. His voice is so clear. I really love Nightblood as like, it's a tangent. It's a the C-plot at best in this book. Yeah, you're like, oh, this is just sort of a funny little detail. And yet it drives me so much. Like, I want more Vasher because that means more Nightblood. And I want to better understand, like every time he's thrown into a pile of human beings and they all go crazy and use him to kill each other type of thing. And then Vasher's reaction to that, the way that the smoke is like leaking out every time that he starts to slide from the sheath. And the way that the smoke is described almost as a liquid Mm -hmm. also is really interesting and nightblood and vasher's relationship with nightblood and like everything that goes on in there i think is one of the most compelling arguments to reread warbreaker because i definitely feel like the first couple of times that i read it there's just so much going on and it's like so exciting that i'm reading so quickly that i miss things specific to Nightblood that I was able to pick up on this time. And I really think that the final reveal, too, of Nightblood and the full both power and horror of what he is, it's tense throughout. It's a nice mystery that's driving us through the C-plot. But by the time that Vasher unsheaths him and uses him against like 50-plus lifeless that are all around the castle the way that the weapon works at its full potential and just like obliviating people and stone and everything into this just mist liquid type of experience it's just crazy the very quick black to white transition between nightblood's 
usual sort of childlike, funny, you know, innocent voice to suddenly like screaming in this deep, terrifying voice, like kill people. Oh my gosh. I feel like just that on a dime shift in the voice of Nightblood is something that really helps to drive home like what is happening. Now, are you talking specifically about the audiobook or even in the no, text? No, I itself? mean just in the text. I just wanted to make that clear to people. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The and it is stark. It, it's written in all caps when he yes. goes full crazy. Um, and and it's described as this like booming. Yes. Oh my gosh, it's terrifying. Obviously, we know that Nightblood comes to play later in the Stormlight Archive, and we're excited for all of those connections. Just the power, and then what Brandon said last week, or what we talked about last week, with Brandon talking about how Nightblood is slowly re He's slowly consuming. Consuming, there we go. Investiture. Slowly consuming the investiture throughout the Cosmere. It's fascinating, and... Honestly, we could have just had a story about Vasher and Nightblood, and it could have all been from that perspective, and I feel like well, that would have been compelling. The sequel is at this moment is named Nightblood. So clearly it's compelling. But I was <laughs> honestly like that that's my favorite part. Like when you ask me like Warbreaker, what's your favorite part? And to me, kind of what's one of the more important parts, it's Nightblood and like how he fits into the Cosmere. Yeah, I do think it's interesting. I've been thinking about this. The, just the fact that the book is called Warbreaker, which is the name of Vasher. That's Vasher's returned name, Warbreaker. So he's named it after Vasher, even though Vasher is kind of a side character in this book like when i think Seems about the, yeah when i think about the book i think about siri and vivenna 100 and like the god king and then vasher's kind of on the side with nightblood but i think just looking at the the title of this book and the title of the sequel presumably it says a lot about the way that brandon is thinking about this book in the bigger picture of the cosmere yeah i mean he's calling them or could be calling them vasher and nightblood like right. Book one yeah, is Vasher and much. book two is Nightblood. And just saying like saying that Warbreaker in a way is Vasher's book. Yes. You know? It it's changes not Siri's book. It's not yeah. Vivenna's book. You're like, hmm, okay. This book is a part of Vasher's story, like more than anything. That's the title of the book. Let's go back to you. Another thing that you liked. Yeah, I want to sort of circle back to something I was thinking about earlier with Sort of all of the things that we don't know or that the people in world don't know that Vasher actually mentions. He says to Vivenna, like, awakening and breath is actually much more powerful. There's many more things that it can do that we don't even know about. We don't really understand it yet. You know, as a scholar, he obviously did a bunch of research and tests and experiments, but even he doesn't necessarily know everything but he knows more than many people do. And we see some examples of that in that he has learned how to erase memories using a command, mm -hmm. which tells us that just regular humans are able to be commanded in like an awakening. So you were mentioning this before with the God Kings maybe having to use an intent or a command or something to 
naturally have a child. Yes. And I think this is something that supports that theory. And I just find so fascinating. And another like danger of the democratization of this investiture that at first it seems great. Like, hey, everyone, everyone has, you know, an equal amount. Everyone has a little bit of magic. Because that could also be an equal weakness. Right. Exactly. An equal like vulnerability. If just everyone can be commanded like it's no wonder that vasher we've already seen he was willing to kill people for you know not releasing secrets obviously uh knowledge like this would be just devastating to a population i really think that we would have to assume it would be easier to use that awakening on someone who was a drab Right? I don't think so, because I think what he's doing is he's using the innate single breath inside of yes. the girl that we see to, like, quote unquote, awaken her or just like command her in a certain way. But I think a drab would actually be immune because they wouldn't have any investiture inside of them for the awakener to manipulate. Interesting. Wow. That's yeah. That brings up a lot of fascinating like questions and where could this go and what could this lead to the also idea that what we were saying was a strength earlier on may actually be a vulnerability that everyone has it's like you know a, a hacker who can get into everyone's phones because they all have the same backdoor loophole yeah so you can imagine a world if this information were to become widespread you could imagine a world where uh, people would store their breaths in inanimate objects like we see them doing now, but it would be much more common, right? Every single person would just put their breath in their cloak so that they would be protected against commanding um, and, you know, maybe take it out and use it as needed. What is another thing on your list? Well, I think that another one of the side characters that for me gets bumped all the way up and becomes truly one of the most memorable characters in my mind in the entire Cosmere is Light Song. Mm. Light Song to me yep. burns bright. Yes. And it is definitely one of the things that I was talking about, about the relationships and the characters driving us through this very chaotic seeming story is Light Song's simplicity in many mm -hmm. ways. And yet his innate misunderstandings his um, need to be educated often by scoot but often just by situations such all of a that, good example of like misinformation or misleading he yes. like thinks he's got it all figured out oh, and man, then it's he, so wonderful it's such a big twist and it's great but i think that what it really comes down to for me and why light song works so well is that he is a very clear example of a character who is challenged in exactly the ways that attack his own weaknesses. Like what is Light Song's characteristic that we know about him from the very beginning? He doesn't believe he's a god and he finds the entire system around him to be nonsensical. He has totally isolated himself. He takes no responsibility. Yes. And the way that he is challenged first by Blushweaver, who, you know, is always throwing herself out there in the Blushweaver fashion. He is resisting that temptation, but also resisting her 
call towards politics, her call to pay attention, act like a god. You have control of the lifeless. You need to do X, Y, and Z, mainly give Blush Weaver more power. And his resistance to that, it's innately describing him as a character. And at the same time, what is really going on is that he is being awoken in a non-magical sense. Yeah. But he is discovering who he is and it's really just a brilliant example of a character who maybe is not as complex because of his uh, return status he's like a little bit more simplified of a character he's a little bit more understandable in some ways Uh, but his direction is so wonderful yeah his storyline is so clear and to sort of step into like literary criticism we can say that light song story is kind of a uh an archetype he sort of embodies an archetype right of of uh a man who's sort of blind to his own divinity and we see that you know in various ways in various different types of stories characters who think that they are you know normal or base or not divine in any way they don't believe in their specialness and despite like all of the evidence to the contrary right like right from the beginning we see that he's having prophetic dreams he's seeing things in paintings he is even the game that they play yes right where he's like not trying at all and yet doing great um that is an example of the fact that he can not try at all, but he is still having an effect. He's still doing something by not doing anything. Um, And his story is just such a great, simple, uh, archetypal transition to watch him go through this very focused journey. And because of its focused intent, I feel like he's a magnifying glass directing the sun you know into that sharp beam or that clear point and it carries with it and and rides basically on the back of a true emotional connection that to truly understand you have to know that scoot is light song's brother like you have to know the end to then when you go back and read through again it's just hitting you in every single moment and it becomes just more and more and that's like what has solidified light song and the one of my favorite characters it's that he is constantly challenging and being challenged by the person who most clearly knows his divinity knows his his kind of deep dark secret which is that like he is a good person he is a god he does have these abilities it's already been made clear to Larimar or Scoot and Lightsong is then uncovering that it's like I don't know they're like Batman and the Joker they just they perfectly (laughs) play off one another in each of the ways that like keeps things moving forward the end or near the end when Lightsong is like thinking he's a detective and then thinking he was a soldier so funny and Larimar like huffing after him just this fat like chubby dude who's like chasing after a seven foot tall god and light song's insistence that all he has to do is like put himself in the correct situation 
uh, and his old his old self will like reemerge and Larimar just like following him along until finally like they're trapped blush weavers dead and he's just like are you kidding me oh that like, moment is so heart-wrenching yes it's one he is just like completely fed up and exasperated and oh gosh and it's that emotional connection between the two of them that of course unlocks light song's memories and his ability or his memories about how he died and the sacrifice that he made for his brother for his niece and he remembers why he came back and of course he remembers that he in fact is a god like that moment of just like oh i am a god (laughs) it's such a maybe stark contrast to some of the super power-ups we've seen elsewhere in the cosmere where like i didn't know that Sazed was going to become Harmony. And it could have gone a different way. But Light Song, from the very beginning, was doing exactly what he always was going to do because he already instinctively, you know, through divine powers, knew what was going to happen. And that his story can only be his story. I obviously don't want anyone else to be harmony other than zazed and it fits so perfectly but light song is like a brilliant simplified purified version of that journey that's like it's only his only he could make that sacrifice at the end um and save the god king and then that allows their story to continue light song love it great I am just going to continue my survey of any and all um, magic on Nalthus and talk about the lifeless. An interesting, well, there are several interesting sort of tidbits that we get about the lifeless. Again, I am just still on this train of misinformation. (laughs) Run with it. No, this is good. I am Lightsong. I am the detective. (laughs) We see... Uh, from Vivena's perspective, she sees Claude and she she thinks that she sees something uh, more animated or more human inside of Claude when he rescues her from the other lifeless. This is sort of a heightened circumstance, right? So maybe Vivena's just making it up because she's scared or, you know, she wants to see Claude being heroic. But another thing that I think backs up this idea that lifeless are not lifeless or at least not as dead as people think they are is that light song finds the lifeless squirrel that basher uses inside of the returned palace Mm -hmm. and he sends it to his priests and to have them break the commands and he tells blush weaver that apparently breaking those commands requires breath and torture and blush weaver is like what do you mean torture? They're not alive. They can't feel any pain. And Lightsong being Lightsong is just sort of like, yeah, whatever. I don't know. Great point. Yeah. that's Why would you torture a thing that can't feel anything? The answer being, of course, that they can. Yeah. And they are probably maybe closer to a drab or... Or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that what might be going on with the lifeless because this is also mentioned by Denth when he's talking about how they will pay more for a lifeless with 
Yeah, they retain some of their skills. One hundred percent. Which is the whole reason they even made Claude. Yes, because they keep Claude is our steel. Yes, one hundred percent. So he's the best. They were stylist. like, hmm, how will a returned do as a lifeless? Like that was the whole experiment that they're doing with Claude. And it's a it's working out pretty good for them. Yeah. Uh, but I, what I imagine is that, in the same way that endowment can give a divine breath to a being and has done that for all the humans on Nalthus, I believe what the five mm. scholars realized is that they could give maybe multiple breaths in place of that one divine and basically yeah, it's like a bring them to life. Return. Yes, Whereas exactly. a returned comes back more than human. Mm-hmm. A lifeless comes back slightly less than human because but it's not like, dead yeah it's like a more inefficient uh type of returning i wonder if the five scholars have tried just giving like a shit ton of breath to a lifeless to like see if it would become actually alive or something i don't know like does it depend on the amount of breath if you just give a ton of breath to a lifeless will it come back to life i mean we have to keep in mind that that one divine breath is the equivalent of the fifth heightening yeah and so you but what if you gave like the third heightening i don't know you know (laughs) i think that it's important to both recognize that at one time it took a lot more breaths to awaken a lifeless right and And they they discovered discovered a one breath command yes and so i guess that's true if they have kind of only just discovered the one breath command you would think that more breaths would not equal more life well, no, I think that you would just have to know a different or more complicated command mm. is that that's what they're missing yeah. out on. It's not that they can't create a returned. It's that they're not that far in their understanding of the magic. I, But I think like a yeah. fabricated return is totally possible because lifeless are like halfway there. Yeah. Hmm. I'm also just thinking of the way that Vasher thinks all of his little guys when they his moppets yeah his like little puppet guys when they do stuff for him he thanks them before he like takes their breath back mm. you know so i just feel like hmm he yes. he kind of knows that there is something in these awakened creatures that is alive in some way now do you think it's the body or the breath the breath okay I just wanted to clarify because like, mm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Our steel I mean, I guess to like, Claude, that's the body. You would say, yeah, you would say that the body retains some kind of like imprint yes. of the soul so that even after they die, it sort of has like a memory that has been stored inside of the tissues the physical, of the body, yeah. which... We know in our own world anyway is somewhat the way that human bodies work. We do store memories and emotions and things inside of our physical tissues. And I think that a breath leaving an imprint is also um, on the physical body is something that makes perfect sense when it comes to romantic theory as that breath inside a physical body over time would start to manifest it and connect Mm -hmm. itself more and more to the physical body. And Brandon is so careful about his religions and his magic systems. And we've talked a lot about um, his sort of like equal opportunity 
religious philosophy where most of the religions that he presents on his different worlds do have some basis in truth in the Cosmere. And so that idea of there being something in that breath or, you know, that really is someone's soul that retains its identity gives credence to the Idris philosophies Mm -hmm. of like, you can't take other people's breath. Like that is them. Yes. I think it probably works both ways where the physical body Mm -hmm. is connected and also the breath is connected to whatever it used to be. Ooh, I wonder if they like want to get back to each other. Well, there's certainly, when we look at the emperor's soul um, and stamping and the way that she says everything has a memory of what it once was, the table, the wood table knows that it was once a tree and that if you slightly adjust its history, you can change what it is, change what it would have become. I think that there's definitely going to be some type of three-realm tie that's very important to the iridescent tones overall. Love it. It's great. And (laughs) another thing that I love is the setup and reversal of Dent's character. It is so great. That freaking reveal in this book gets me every time. Because the first time I read it, it just like shocked me i like basically just dropped the book and was like what and i love that we actually don't see this that often in other bits of sanderson's work what i mean by that is he saves a lot for the end and i feel like what he does really well is he has all these balls that are juggling uh and they're all flying around at once and then they all kind of one after the other boom 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 that's the sanders avalanche uh and that's the good stuff that's what we like really love but this was almost good place-esque without revealing any uh mysteries from the show mid-season twist exactly a mid-season twist because you think that the story is going in one direction and then they always like episode four or five you know they they twist it in some way and it goes off in a different direction that's what brandon was able to do with his character of denth and tongfa i believe that the reason that going back and rereading is so important once you have seen these twists come once or even twice or three times is that the setup and the hints that the revelation is about to happen it's there like they are breadcrumbed out so perfectly kills you even more yeah you're like i missed it i missed it all well like i was saying at the beginning something that i just love about his writing is that suspension of disbelief we only know what vavena knows and as far as vavena is concerned they're great guys they're just kidding and so you feel along with vavena just like oh shit like Literally, the first thing that they said to me was like, hi, we're here to kill you. We're going to kidnap you. Oh, ha ha. Just kidding. Nobody ever believes mercenaries. Oh, my. And just the like infuriating stupidity that you feel having seen it coming. Like you you saw it coming. The breadcrumbs are not breadcrumbs. They're giant neon signs. Tom Fa (laughs) kept losing his pets. And he talked about killing things 
all the time. And like every other sentence that Denth says is like, you can't trust a mercenary. Exactly. Don't trust a mercenary. Mercenaries don't have friends. Don't trust us. We will do anything for whoever will pay us. And it's... And you're just like, yeah, but that doesn't include me, right? Of not, course not. not it's me. the most basic, I, like, logical am, fallacy. Yeah, I am the exception to the rule, obviously. And we're not. Nope, you're not. And Ugh. it gets pulled out so perfectly. It sets up Vivenna's most important character growth, which is her time on the streets, uh, where she truly does become a different person. And she will eventually say that Vivenna died on those streets. Mm-hmm. And... That is what I was mentioning earlier just about the characters and the relationships is like they're all challenged by exactly what needs to challenge them. Vena was a uptight, you know, overzealous Idrian who needed to change to become the woman that she will be, which we know is Azure. Uh, but like what? she has to be different. She has to go through this experience. And as she's going through it, it's blowing my mind as a reader. Yeah. What I really love about Vivenna's character and her storyline is that she has so much willingness and ability to question herself and her beliefs. And I think that that is such a difficult thing for us to do as people. And and I think it's like hard and scary to do as a writer for your character because you kind of want to you know, be true to your character or like carve it out in a really specific way so that people can recognize, you know, your character. You want them to be sort of clean in a certain way. But to tackle this concept of being able to question yourself, question your beliefs, change who you are and what you believe, um, just to have an example of that, I think is important and admirable. How about what's another thing that you really loved? Another of their five favorites. Ooh, yeah, perfect, actually. This segues right in. One of the things that I think stands out about Warbreaker is the humor. There is so much humor in this book. There's a lot of serious things going on, but you get funny lines, I think, from pretty much every character. So much like witty banter between Light Song and Blushweaver. You've got Seb and Siri who say some funny things. Nightblood is funny. I mean, you even have Denth and Tongfa who are yeah. plain funny. Like they're, they're making jokes. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're setting up a kidnapping and trying to bring about a war, but they're but with making such jokes. levity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the things that contributes, I think, to the enjoyableness of this book is that it balances. Again, it has a balance between some really intense, serious things happening, but sort of a lighthearted tone. And something I read uh, from Brandon that I thought was interesting, uh, a reader had actually been asking him about the character reversals that happen in this book that you were just talking about, like with Denth, but also with Siri and Vivenna sort of switching places. Um, and what inspired that? And like, did he always know if he was going to try to do that? And he quoted being inspired by Shakespeare, actually, for this book. And one of his goals in writing Warbreaker was to work on his humor and to work on like new ways of working humor into a book and like how different types of characters would use humor. And I just thought that that was super interesting. Another one of my favorite things from Warbreaker is the connection that is seen between Light 
and its representation of color, sound, and the senses in the iridescent tones. I find this magic system so interesting, A, for the reasons we've talked about before, but also because of its manifestation in the world. The whole religious concept, the whole belief, and the way that more breaths changes a person's abilities when it's coming to your perfect pitch and your ability to discern exact and true colors. I love the idea that each of the palaces of the different gods is almost like one color to someone who doesn't have any breath. And then the more heightenings you have up to that. You see like the specific gradations of the color. And it's all done to create like a beautiful work of art that nobody except for you could see appropriately and that everything would be built like that. All the artwork, all of the different things around the gods and in the court of the gods is all designed in this incredibly intricate way. You have the importance of there's something going on with light and sound, our waves and our connected... Glad that you brought this up because I had this thought too while I was reading and it is another thing that ties Nalthus to to Rashar. (laughs) But Vasher very clearly describes awakening. You know, the two things that you need are breath and a command. So right there, like you have their whole religion, the iridescent tones broken down. You need color, iridescent, and tones, sound. So like you were saying, wavelengths of light, wavelengths of sound clearly playing a part. Yeah, and it's almost like the keys that you need to unlock the pathway to the spiritual realm and unlock that bit of investiture. Each of the different worlds have their little keys. On Skadril, you have the metals, and you need to have that in order to unlock the vast amounts of investiture. On Rashar, you have Stormlight and all the different ways it's collected. Which we theorize may be sound waves. And I think that that, again, we've said this multiple times now, but like it does feel very clear that to do any more exploration of these different aspects of the world, the linguistics, the magic system, the characters, really does start to show the hand of what's going on in the Cosmere a little bit. I love that Which idea. Which great, yeah. yeah what Pull it, back the curtain, baby. What it means is the same way that I was impressed by the Denth reveal or that I loved the Light Song reveal that he is a god. Warbreaker is all set up. It's all set up for huge, important things in the Cosmere that literally Brandon wrote a dozen or so stories in between these two things just because it's so significant to get us to the book Nightblood. Our next section is Cosmere Connections, but I feel like we've basically done that the entire podcast. So (laughs) take that whole last hour just as Cosmere Connections. (laughs) What about some Hoyd sightings? Because Hoyd has one of his most clear... Yep. He is called Hoyd. He appears as a 
fancy magical storyteller in the court of the gods summoned by light song at the request Siri. of Siri and he's going to not only unveil a little bit about himself but also tell the story of what happened before the mini war and yeah, give he gives some... a little history of Halandrin. Yes, and what was going on with the god kings since the mini war, including helping Ciri understand what her maybe role is as the vessel of the god king. And he has a very unique storytelling method in this book of dropping mostly different colored sands but also like some leaves some glitter um i think there's like a ribbon or two that sort of paint a picture of the story that he is telling and this is something that hoyt has obviously done elsewhere well Most, he does similar things well that's what i'm saying yeah. he does this type of thing of telling a story whether that's fleet uh, or the wander mm, sail, which like, he does with the fire smoke. Yes, exactly. So this is important because when I just reread this, and Hoyd whips out some white sand and some black sand, I'm immediately going, "Oh, from white sand from Tall Dane. This is invested sand and non-invested sand, and that seems to play out as he is telling the story. The white." seems to infuse the dark sand and the dark side becomes white just like it would on Taldane. But a fan asked Brandon, does the sand storytelling Hoyd uses in Warbreaker have anything to do with the White Sand trilogy? Brandon responds, no, it does not. This is a storytelling method that Hoyd developed on his own. It does have a relationship to the Liar of Partenau. Just for a side reference, that is one of the very first short stories that Brandon created. It is not part of any published work like the Arcanum Unbounded. It's also not canon. Like, he's kind of disowned it. He's like, you can read it, but know that everything in there is subject to, like, not being true anymore. But that's just what he was talking about. We personally don't necessarily recommend it uh, for that reason. However, I just wanted to throw in that word of Brandon because it indicates that Hoyd has his deeper magical ability that we believe comes from Yolen. He's not just picking up different magic mm -hmm. systems from around the Cosmere. He also has one that it seems nobody else does. And I think that there is another word of Brandon specifically about about Hoyd's like original magic. Yeah. Um, kind of a light weaving. In that, yeah, it's similar to light weaving, but it is not light weaving. And then from Warbreaker, we have an interesting quote about Hoyd's past. Siri asks him about his storytelling method and asks him like where he learned to tell stories like that. And he says, I learned it many, many years ago from a man who didn't know who he was, Your Majesty. It was a distant place where two lands meet and gods have died, end quote. And again, when I heard that, I kind of jumped at the idea of Taldane and I kind of jumped at the idea of Rashar, both seeming like places... I think it's a world we haven't seen yet. And no, I do, th I do so think it's Yolen. So either Yolen yeah. or something else. I think God... Well, he does say gods have died. I was thinking maybe he's talking about Adonalsium. 
Well, I think that Yolen is the best example. And without further evidence, it would be weird to speculate too much on a different planet. It's probably Yolen. Uh, and we'll learn about more in the very last book of the Cosmere series. I'm wondering. So Brandon said that Hoyd developed the storytelling method on his own. And Hoyd says that he learned it from a man who didn't know who he was, which I feel like he's talking about himself. We know that Hoyd has gone through various iterations of himself, complete with different names and I just find that very interesting and like poetic. Well, and I'll just bring back the liar of Partnell just to depart. What that is about is a master training a pupil. The pupil, we believe, is Hoyd or a character that will kind of become Hoyd. And the master, the teacher, is named Hoyd. So he gets his name originally when his master dies and he takes that name upon him for himself so that i believe is the connection so it's also possible that when he's saying i learned it from someone many years ago he's talking about that individual and so that's kind of the the way that the liar partnell comes into play in this moment is that we think that maybe that individual the master or the teacher uh the original hoid is where Hoyd picked up this trick. But what if there's like some time travel going on and Hoyd is actually teaching... Teaching Hoyd? Yeah, young Hoyd. The bootstrap paradox. Old Hoyd, yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. And that brings us to the end of, uh, of our pre-Stormlight Archive reread. We, the two of us, have already started diving into our Way of Kings reread. I think our plan is to break the books up for podcast episodes and do maybe like two episodes per book. We'll kind of see how it feels as we're going, um, but we should have some more episodes out on those. Definitely hit us up on the social media. Let us know what your returned name is and or what your Shardblade name is. (laughs) There have been a few thrown out on Facebook so far very entertaining and great and until next time life before death strength before weakness journey before destination 